0: This is the Money Unleashed podcast. A look at the financial issues facing investors and those getting ready for retirement. Here's the president of the Hoffman Financial Group, Chris Hoffman, and his co-host, Randy Cook. Our guest in studio today is Cal Bomar of the Bomar Law Firm. And we're talking today about a lot of different aspects of financial planning that brings us into the legal realm. And Cal, you said to me before the show here that your firm does an awful lot in court with dealing with some of these tax issues. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, and I started with IRS doing it on that side, but IRS tells us we have the second most tax court cases in the United States, um, so we're very blessed. <laughs> that's,
2: <laughs> that's a lot of court. That's, that's, that's a lot. lot of court cases. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. The second most tax court cases. So, talk about that process. How far do you go in the process before you reach a tax court?
1: A lot of people come in when they've received that initial audit letter, and we'll you know, first help them calm down, tell them it's going to be okay. We'll handle that process, and we can resolve a lot of them in that initial audit with the agent. But even when you can't, we go to an administrative appeals, uh, which is an informal process, and about 95% will resolve there. But when it doesn't, uh, we have the option of filing a tax court petition and taking it to litigation. You know, when you do that, you have a settlement officer that comes and tries to negotiate with you. You'll negotiate with an IRS attorney. And if you just can't reach an agreement, you'll go to trial. So you have plenty of opportunities to win and, you know, we do Freedom of Information Act requests, get every document we can from IRS, make sure we know everything they know, have lots of ways to prove up deductions and credits. And so we just make sure that you get the best possible result.
0: Well, what are the things now that you see maybe that haven't been in the past that flag somebody's tax return for an audit? Uh, What is the IRS looking for? How do you stay off their radar? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the old
1: and the current way is when you file a return, the IRS computers evaluate every deduction on a bell curve. And if you're ever in the top 1%, of any deduction or even ratio of your deduction against your gross income or if you've taken extensive credits, you know, or you've claimed 100,000 business miles, the computer will spit you out and then a human will decide, okay, let's throw this one back in or okay, let's audit this one. This will probably lead to a big assessment of tax. Mm -hmm. But the new way is the IRS has actually entered a $99 million contract to build out its big data capabilities, its artificial intelligence, And what they're going to do is they're going to aggregate social media, phone records, text, credit card transaction, and endless other data from everywhere to detect more tax fraud. And uh, they probably will detect 10 times the amount of tax fraud and big assessments that they used to get once
0: it's optimized.
2: That's amazing. Another reason to stay yeah. off of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if you're, Lord.
0: if you're claiming you have no income, but they see a bunch of pictures of you on Facebook in Hawaii and the Caribbean and Europe, that's a red flag.
1: It is. It used to be too much data for them or anyone else to handle, but they're getting much, much more efficient at it. Uh, wow. So we all need to be more careful about that. Amazing.
0: One of the other things that I think about is as a person gathers wealth in their life, They actually become a target for people trying to sue them. They're looking for ways to get their money. How do we protect our money? We've saved this money. We put it in 401ks and we put it in all these different kinds of accounts. What's protected? What's not protected? What should we be thinking about along those lines? And that
1: can vary state to state. But I will say that most qualified plans like your 401k, your 403b, 457 plans are protected. Most IRAs are protected, but they can be limited to $1 million of protection. But the one caveat is inherited IRAs tend not to be protected, uh, like other retirement plans. Mm. You know, I would avoid overly complex, overly expensive marketed asset protection plans, especially those that depend on confidentiality. Uh, LLCs are very effective, limited liability companies for asset protection. They have what's called charging order protection, where a creditor can be limited to what the LLC would distribute out to you in terms of what they can collect and not what the LLC is holding. Annuities receive asset protection in Georgia. They're not always the best investment tool, but they do receive protection from lawsuits and creditors. The other thing I would think about is, you know, the concept of debt shielding. Sometimes you have an asset that would otherwise be exposed, but if you have a mortgage on it or a loan, there's no equity to take. Instead, you know, your assets could be in things that are more protected.
0: So we talk about wills and trusts as well. I mean, putting money into a trust, does that also give you a certain amount of protection? It
1: doesn't give protection for the grantor normally that puts it into the trust, you know, a self-settled grantor trust. But it can give protection to the beneficiaries, what they call a spendthrift trust. So if you're trying to protect it from your children's creditors or lawsuits or your children's future divorce, it can be very effective for that. And we can do a trust lifetime that exists today or you can put it in a will that doesn't come about until after you're gone. hmm
0: So, Chris, you brought up cryptocurrency. We've talked a little bit about Bitcoin on this show. I imagine that has brought up an awful lot of interesting twists and turns when it comes to filing your taxes with Bitcoin. That's got to be kind of weird.
2: Yeah, I, I have clients that have the actual coins and I guess they do it through Coinbase or they have wallets and they store the coins. And I don't manage that for clients, but they talk about it quite often. I mean, Cal, what if you buy and sell these coins in this wallet, what's mm-hmm. reported to you from Coinbase as far as you know, capital gains, or I guess it's not considered capital gains, or is it capital gains?
1: It is, it's a lot like selling a stock. The challenge with your cryptocurrency transactions is a lot of times you're on an exchange that requires you to use one crypto to buy another crypto. Mm. And so you've got to convert all those transactions into US dollars. You've also got the fact that if you mine cryptocurrency, uh, you can have two taxable events, one when you mine it and obtain it, and the other when you sell it. And so it can be incredibly tedious to track, especially if you're moving from exchange to exchange and you don't really have the record of your original cost basis, what you paid for it, it can be tedious to put that onto a return, which is why in the early days less than 1% of people who were doing these transactions were reporting it correctly on, Mm -hmm. on their return. And IRS picked up on that fact, and it's one of their top priorities to go after now.
0: You're listening to Money Unleashed with Chris Hoffman. Our guest today is Cal Bomar of the Bomar Law Firm. Is one of the resources that Chris uses at Hoffman Financial Group to help you when it comes to the legal part of building a financial and retirement plan. You know, when we talk about taxes, we have just recently gone through a big tax reform where a lot of us are no longer itemizing. Cal, does that mean that we are missing a lot of opportunities or that there are fewer problems with people trying to get away with things? Or how does that now settle out with the new tax laws?
1: Well, that certainly was the goal of the IRS, right, to make it where less people itemize and less people game the system with those deductions and more have an incentive to take the standard deduction, but sometimes it's the case where you're better off with the standard deduction and sometimes you're still better off itemizing. And so it's a case by case basis. And we go through and do a thorough evaluation based on the circumstances.
2: So Randy, we've been talking over the course of the last month or so about your year end cleanup of things. And that involves, yes, your financial review and your investments, but there are also important legal documents that on an annual basis, you should make sure are tightened up and there to serve you in case something happens. So, Cal, let's talk about those basic legal documents that really every individual or family should be focused on.
1: Everyone needs a will, which is simply a legal instrument in which you express your desires and wishes regarding how your property would be disposed after death. You also name your executor that will gather your assets and distribute those out to your beneficiaries or your trustee if you're leaving it in trust. You also name uh, your preferences guardian for your children, things like that, and then disposing even of individual items that are sentimental or of value. A trust, it can be lifetime or it can be inside the will, and that is simply you as grantor giving the trustee property to hold, not for their own benefit in the fiduciary capacity for the beneficiaries, and your will may govern for six months during the probate process or even a year, but the trust could be around 30 years or longer. After that, we like to encourage people to have an advanced directive for health care, and that does three things. We want them to name a health care agent, you know, if they couldn't make their own medical decisions, who would they want making those decisions for them? They list their treatment preferences, you know, regarding hydration and other specific medical needs they might have in the future, what they would want done. And also uh, their preferred guardianship for their children. We also talked to them about a financial power of attorney. And the the goal of that is if they were incapacitated and they give someone the power to pay their bills for them and really do anything they could do legally, sell property, buy property. And that can be effective immediately upon execution, or that can be springing where it comes about only in the case of incapacity.
2: So that doesn't have to be a family member, right? I mean, you can hire some uh, professional to... Handle your power of attorney and make financial decisions for you. What about healthcare directive? I mean, let's say uh, you don't want to burden a spouse with that mm-hmm. that role or responsibility. Can you name your doctor as an example to do something like that? Or how do you as, how do you work through something like that?
1: As long as they're willing to serve in that capacity, you can name okay. anyone: friend, relative, professional. You know, it's up to you and that person.
2: Yeah. All right. So I'm going to mention something that you said to me once, which was being a trustee of an estate is one of the hardest things that you've ever done. Talk about the dynamics of being the trustee that's holding these assets right. and managing somebody's wishes who's no longer with us. Right. So they can't be checked in on, obviously. And you have kids or grandkids that may their lives aren't going the way they would have hoped, and they're making unnecessary or, I guess, illegal demands of the trustee. Talk about that dynamic. What's the trustee in for? For those of you that are listening that may be a trustee for a family trust, you know, what are the difficulties in being a trustee?
1: I think it can be one of the hardest jobs that you'll ever do because a lot of times the grantor they're worried about children you know wasting the money and not having experience at first with money being taken advantage of divorce litigation mm-hmm. and a lot of times people tend to want their money immediately and so they'll come to you as trustee and say you know i want all of it or i want a huge chunk of it and you try to explain you know, I'll give you this much or, you know, what the grantor intended. And they could be quite determined to get that money out of you, whether it's calling you 10 times a day or stopping <laughs> by your house or. That's a little scary. <laughs> whatever it takes. So, so
2: what's a reasonable, if you go to an outside, let's say you've hired a, a financial advisor or you put the bank as the trustee, there's a fee for that right? Mm. Nobody's going to be your trustee for free. So what's a going rate on that people could expect to pay to hire an outside trustee, not a family member?
1: Well, you know, there's a default rule under the code, but typically that's better off negotiated with your intended trustee and the grantor of a trust can set that in the trust document what that's going to be. Mm. Uh, Otherwise, the, the default rules will apply.
2: Okay. So will... Potentially a trust inside the will or a living trust, power of attorney for financial decisions, mm-hmm. and a health care directive. That's right. Those three are things that our listeners, we'd encourage you to make sure you have those. And if you don't have those and they're not current... Why don't you take a look at over the holiday months, getting that in order? And, uh, you know, we'd welcome you to call the Bomar Law Firm and Cal Bomar and his team. Be happy to set up a consultation and get you started. Thanks for
0: listening to the Money Unleashed podcast with Chris Hoffman. To find out more about the Hoffman Financial Group, go to UnleashYourMoney.com and join Chris for his radio show, Money Unleashed, Sunday afternoons at 5 on WSB Radio Atlanta. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Insurance license in Georgia number one six three five four six.